uh, 18. How about that? Hey, my name is Darren, by the way, in case you're wondering, and I am the pastor here. And we've been taking the scenic route through the book of Acts. Uh, we're, the church is a year old. We started Acts chapter 1, Easter Sunday of last year, and we have made it to Acts chapter 18. So I feel like that we are, I, I'm feeling strong that uh, before Jesus comes back on October 21, <laughs> that we should be okay to make it through at least Acts 22. So um, if you and if you don't bring your Bible, that's actually cool. Like nobody's going to judge you. Uh, and it's actually a great excuse if you want to use your PDF. Uh, no, PDF. What are they called? PDAs. Okay, PDA. PDA is a public display of affection. That is not good. That is not appropriate in a, in a church. Personal electronic device, your PEDs. Your iPhones, all right? Just get your iPhones out. You can use your Bibles there. But we believe that the scripture, if God cared enough to, to grant us this, this word from him, that it actually ought to be good enough. And, and our temptation throughout the week is we don't really get into it much because it seems overwhelming and not, you know, easy to get around. But I, I think it's a lot like... If you're with a little, um, if, if you play soccer, if kids play soccer, like Maddie, uh, she's not in here actually, but Maddie, um, Michelle was at Disney last week playing soccer. She's, plays in the, you know, she's a great player, but what, the reason that you get good at soccer is that you have a lot of touches on the ball. That's what the coaches tell you when you're a little guy or a little girl playing soccer. You've got to have a lot of touches with it. And so we think that the more opportunities you have to touch your Bible, the more comfortable you become with it in and in it. And so that's why we ask that if you, if you have one, bring it. If not, use your little whatever we decided to call these because they all have Bibles with them and, uh, and to get into the Word with us. In Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, which is what we talked about for the last whatever month, when Paul was in Athens and he gave that great sermon that tanked, after this he headed to Corinth. In verse 2, and there was, uh, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. This guy was a real dirt clod and it was anti Semitic and forced all the Jews out of, out of Rome. And so, verse, uh, let's continue there. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. In verse 5, And when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul, was devoted, uh, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And I love this, by the way, watch this. So he left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and the entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. And one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed on for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Lord, would you grant us, in, in, uh, envision us and impart to us the word that you have for us today? 
that this isn't an academic exercise. It's your word becoming a light for us, for the decisions in our own lives, that your, your word is that to us. And we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak to us individually in Jesus' name, amen. When I was uh, 17 years old, I was not only about 100 pounds less of me, but I was also uh, with a spectacular mullet sitting in Guatemala City in the summer of 1987. And I was with a, uh, this guy named Ron Luce, who would later go on to have these things called Acquire the Fire Youth Conferences. And, but in 1987, he was just a 24-year-old guy that had a little missions thing called Teen Mania. And I was one of, the, it was his first missions trip ever, and I was one of 35 kids on this trip. Um, and I would go on to spend two summers in Guatemala. And I can still get my way around a garage sale because of the Spanish that I learned more so than the four years of French that I learned in high school because of just the immersion of it, right? And so, but that was in 1987, and I was scared out of my mind because I didn't want God to call me to go into missions full-time. And I would pray, God, please don't send me to Africa, God, please, and I prayed it, and I meant it. And I even had like a backup plan, which was, okay, just in case he called me to missions, People in London need Jesus. And you think I'm kidding, but I had this all figured out. If I was going to have to go into missions, I would go to Europe, right? Because that was actually, you know, at least they, you know, spoke English in, in a lot of places and the food was awesome. So, you know, that was my, my theory and I could wear my trench coat and be dark and arty like I was and, and still reach people for Jesus. Um, of course, ironically, that prayer of God don't ever send me to Africa, which I want you to know I meant with all of my heart. Uh, we booked a ticket last week for my uh, next trip to Africa, which is Togo, Africa, which is, by the way, the first trip that I've taken to Africa that, well, I were actually had to go to REI uh, ahead of time because there's, like, going to be a tent thing going on over there. But here's the kicker. I actually want to go. Like, God, when he says he'll give you the desires of your heart, it doesn't mean he's going to give me everything I want. It's he will download into me desires that I want. It's funny. I didn't even think about that the very first time I stepped off a plane in Uganda and, and and it hit me that night. I mean, you know, 24 hours in on this, you'd think I'd have thought of this at some point before, but the minute I stepped out into that just swampy, hot Uganda night, realizing, oh my gosh, I prayed God don't ever send me here. And here I want to be. I just, for whatever reason, just thought of it. That was a few years ago. But I had this idea that I didn't want to go any place that would make me remotely uncomfortable. And so thus Europe was my plan. And I bring that up because here is Paul in Europe. Like this is his not European vacation. Chevy Chase is not here. This is Paul going to Europe, which was not exactly the greatest place to be because he was here, again, being beaten, being abused, being persecuted in Europe. And I believe that to this day that Europe is one of the greatest mission fields in front of us. We have people in our own body that have been there. I know Tim and Edie have invested an enormous amount of your lives in Europe. Jeff and Sheila Fellers have returned from the Ukraine and plan on heading back to Ukraine soon. Uh, for, for a mission that God has called them to be a part of. We, we believe that God is still on the move in Europe. It just isn't in the kind of vacation way that I had in mind when I was in high school. And it sure wasn't the kind of vacation that Paul had in mind when, it, when he'd preach the word and then people would, would beat him over the head. But when I see in this passage that jumped out at me this week, when I think about conduit and how globally we have been so blessed I received an email this morning that a fundraiser we did in partnership last night uh, 
with, uh, I guess it's okay to say this because it's, it's officially public, with Michael and Debbie Smith and Chaz and their management company, and they raised $13,000 last night to build some more homes in Haiti. Um, we'll raise a few thousand dollars with the golf tournament. We sent $23,000 last week to Haiti. We've, globally, we've been so blessed. In, in Togo, Africa, the, the email that I'll, I'll forward to all of you this week was from our missionary on the ground, David, who has been living in a tent there since April, telling me that it isn't just about building buildings, but we're watching people's lives being transformed by the gospel from the inside out. The entire community, this isn't about just feeding their stomachs, it's about their future, which their future we know is their spirit, their eternity. So we're obviously concerned about their present, but we're concerned about their future. And Conduit Togo Africa is alive and well. The church is growing in numbers. Pastor William is a, a, a Togolese native who is preaching the gospel. He had moved up there to the middle of nowhere and has been living in a mud hut with his wife and kids. We're actually building him in a house right now, but right now when the rain comes, he's waking up in mud puddles, not complaining a whit because people's lives are being changed because of the power of Jesus, because of us sending our fellowship, our koinonia to them. I'm, I feel like we're so blessed with that. And yet we live not in Togo, Africa. We live not in Jokmel, Haiti, not in Ukraine. We live in Williamson County. And when I saw this week was Paul's words, which was, or Jesus' words to Paul when he said, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, don't be silent. In verse 10, for I am with you, no one is going to attack you. And this is the kicker, because I have many people in this city. And I look in our community and I think, wow, he has many people in this city in front of us, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your schools, at your pool. There's many people in this community as well. And here's the kicker. It doesn't have to be an either or. It's a both and. You know, a lot of times when you hear people say, and I've heard them say this to us, to me personally, well, I appreciate all the stuff you're doing over in Africa, but what about your own backyard? Now, normally when people say that, that's not because they really want to do something in their own backyard. They just don't want to do anything in Africa. It's just a nice excuse. And I'm saying that that's true, that's right, and we have our own backyard, but it isn't an either or, it's a both and. And our own people in our own community need us as well. And when I look at what Paul is saying here, even when I look at these first few verses, I actually see a playbook that I'd ask you to consider as a body of believers. When we look to Williamson County, when we look to Rutherford, when we look to Murray County, the surrounding areas, what is the playbook that God would have for us? And if you're a note taker, you, you might wanna jot this down and just see if the Lord speaks to you in any way. You might wanna jot it down just so you can go back and revisit it later. But Paul right here has some amazing truths just in the way that they did it, in the way that it unfolded for them that I think we can see in our own community. So that while we're sending Eric and Tizra to India, we moved, they moved this weekend. We, we got to sweat for Jesus together. When they're there and we're reaching into India in this coming year, that also right here in Franklin, again, not either or, both and. That we're doing both. That this is the whole orb of God's promises for us. Now turning off my phone. Um, for us in conduit, that if we're really to be a conduit of his spirit, of his resources, of his love, 
to the community in front of us and to the world around us that we can actually be a global church, globally focused and locally uh, positioned, right? Paul, first thing that I see in verse nine, it says that the Lord spoke in a vision to Paul. We have to get a vision for our community. And it's funny because as I thought about our community, the community Paul was going to, this place was nasty. It's called Corinth, and it wasn't a compliment if you were from there. To be called a Corinthian was not good news. In the middle of the city was this temple to the goddess Aphrodite's. And every day in the evening, 1,000 prostitutes would infiltrate the streets. And you talk, they wouldn't pass out tracks, if you know what I'm saying. They were going out to, quote, welcome people into their, their false goddess worship. It was a nasty city. And that was the city he was in. And that was the city where God said to him, I have many people for you. And I sometimes feel like in Williamson County, our problem isn't that it's nasty. It's that, that we're all way too comfortable. We're trying to reach into a group of people whose hearts have been hardened. A group of people who think that, God, I gotta get it figured out. And I, this is a general statement, because don't get me wrong, I've been into some of, like, I've been to hard bargain. You know, um, I mean, Allie works with against the grain. You know that in our community, there are, it is not all the, the, uh, the pot of gold that we see driving down some of the roads that we see. There is a, there's a population here on all sides. So it's, whether it's those folks that, that are struggling in the, in the jail system, whether it's those folks that are struggling, and I don't, that is the right word, struggling in your house in the nice part of town, both are struggling. Here's the great news though. Jesus had some harsh words to say about Christians who were, who were in that position of wealth, who had lost it, but he had, here's the great news. He had a love and a mercy for them, just like he has a love and a mercy for the people in the jail system. He has a love and mercy, and he said to them in Revelation 3 that, man, to return to your first love. Come back to me. Don't let the wealth steal away. So we've got, that's kind of our area here. We have to have a vision for that. And I'm just gonna be honest with you. It was, for me, this is hard. It was kind of hard for me to get that over the last few years, that have a vision for, Williamson County have a vision for Franklin and Thompson Station and Columbia and Spring Hill that there is a people here. But here's how that vision happens. I don't know how, any other way that you get a vision for the people around you than this. And it's in Mark 8. Write it down. You can go there later. When Jesus encountered a blind man. And you might remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And it says that he put his hands on him and healed him and said that he looked up and he, always, he saw men but as if they were trees looking around. And sometimes I think that's how we view our neighbors here. They're just, we're cutting them down. That they're, they, they sort of, they're frustrating and it stumps me. Well, that was pretty good, right? You just want them to leave. I'm not going to charge you any extra for that one. He said, I see them as trees all around me and it stumps me. But Jesus said, look up. He, first of all, he, he, he spit and put, but he said, look up. Jesus said this, if I be lifted up, right? Remember this in John, I will draw all men unto me. Now that's a song that sounds great on a Sunday morning, high and lifted up, except that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about being lifted up. It says, John says that he was speaking of which the death in which he was going to die on the cross. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And when I look around at my neighbors and I look around at the people, that, the guy that cut me off or the guy that I cut off and I get angry and 
I have to just sometimes look up to the cross and see that the same Jesus, the same blood that he shed for my sins, the same suffering he went through for me, he went through for the guy in jail, the girl in jail, he went for the guy on Concord Road, he went for all of us. That's the same thing. And when I get a blurry vision, I just need to look up at Jesus, the cross, and realize that that vision will allow me to have the mercy and the grace I need because I have to get that in my heart. I have to have a vision. It has to be envisioned for me. The next thing I see was that not only was Paul envisioned for his, this community that God had moved him into, but that he was encircled. In verse five, you see that Timothy and Silas. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. I'm intrigued by that, that he didn't talk about Jesus before they got there. It, this was by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is recorded, that after Timothy and Silas arrived, he started talking about Jesus. And I would venture to say that what's happened was not only Paul envisioned, but now he was encircled. There is not only safety in the multitude of counsel, the scriptures tell us, but man, there's courage that you get when you've got your brothers and sisters beside you. When I was a little kid, there was a, a really creepy haunted house down the street from where I lived, all right? And I want you to know that not, there wasn't a, a snowball's chance in Hades that I was gonna go into that thing alone, ever, for any reason. I would cross the street to not go in that house. But let me tell you what, when the fellas, I got about eighth grade and the fellas were all there and we all went in together, that worked because there was a, a courage you know what I mean? There's a courage that happens when we're together. There's a reason why Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. Because in a group setting, we can encourage one another. We can bolster one another. When we talk about envisioning and encircling for our own community, this has to happen in a group setting. It's why our villages, it's why our small groups are so crucial to us. Because when we're together, I mean, Charlie, when you go down to the mission on Sundays and you feed those people on Sundays, there's a group of people with you. You're, you're doing it as a group. And as our small group ministries are working, I think when we're at our best is when we are not just getting together in our living rooms. Man, that's important. Absolutely, it's important. But also bolstering each other and encouraging each other and exhorting each other to go into the community and to serve together. The vision was not only in, in, envisioned in Paul, but then he encircled it with, with Timothy and Silas when they showed up in town. So it was envisioned, it was encircled, and then it was invested in. Because not only did Paul, I mean, he says he showed up in town, and by the way, if you're, in, uh, if you're a pastor, if you're uh, a prophet or whatever, whatever God has called you to be, it doesn't necessarily mean that at every point in your life, that you're not gonna be working a day job. It's actually not a failure. Paul would go through seasons, and one of his seasons was when he showed up here, and he was making tents, because that was his gig. He showed up and he had to, you know, had to feed himself somehow, so he's, he is doing, making tents. And it's where he meets Aquila, and the reason he meets them is because he's working his day job. But here's what's interesting to me. Timothy and Silas showed up and this is why the, the whole counsel of God's word is so important to us. Because here it just says that they showed up and he started preaching Jesus exclusively at that point. He was able to do it full time. But if you flip over with me to the book of 
Philippians. Yep. Look, if you want good jokes, you're going to have to go somewhere else, but I, I'm giving you what I got. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. And in the context of this, and I wanted you to turn here because I wanted you to see this. Because Timothy and Silas roll into town, and he's exclusively beginning to preach the word. And what we see in, and you don't have to turn here, but you can go there later, in 2 Corinthians 11, somewhere around verse 10-ish, is it actually talks about, Paul is talking about when Timothy and Silas, when the men from Macedonia came to me, that they brought with me a financial gift. And he was writing it to the church at Corinth saying, hey, for you guys, like David could say in Africa, like Eric and Tizer can say in India, I'm here not, I'm not charging you anything for this because I know you're not there yet. That's what he said in 2 Corinthians 11. I've come to you, Corinthians. I'm not a burden on you at all. In Jacmel, Haiti, we're not a burden on them. We're not taking up an offering to try to build a house from them. They don't have it. But he was saying to these folks here, the men from Macedonia, in fact, this is that chapter four, that passage that we love so much because it's in verse 13 that he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's Paul saying that. But when you, that's the verse and that's the one we put on our refrigerator or our mirrors or our little cards and it's nice and it's great. But when you pop back and look at the whole chapter, he's actually talking in context of, hey, I was in this place doing ministry and I was actually doing fine because I had a day job and I didn't need the money, but you guys took care of me. And he went on to say even to them that you were investing in me. You were the only church that ever invested in me for so long. And he, and he said this, uh, verse 14, and yet it was so good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, that when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. And look at what he says here in verse 17. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. Saying, I didn't need the money. I had a job, but I accepted it because then it can be credited to your account. And this is one of the greatest secrets of God's kingdom. It's the secret that Jesus says that if you even give a, a cup of water to a prophet in my name, that you will receive the same reward as he received. With us envisioning and encircling, we have to also know that some of us are called to invest in the kingdom, invest in the people on the front lines. And the beauty of it is this. You'll get the same exact reward. If, if, you, if you support Eric and Tizra in India, you get the exact same reward as they get when they get to heaven. And that, maybe that doesn't sound fair to you, but it's illustrated beautifully in 1 Samuel 30. David and his men had returned to Ziglag. Aren't you glad you don't live in that town? To Ziglag. All 600 of his men. And they returned to find the town ransacked. The women, the children, everything gone. And the 600 men who had just been in battle, had just been victorious, came back and this was not good news. They were exhausted and they were robbed and stolen from. Now listen to this. The story is this then. They needed, first they were obviously angry. They were angry at David. Why would you leave us, our, our women, our children unprotected? And I love this and you write this down and go there later, but I love this passage in 1 Samuel 30 where it says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. But from there, 
he gets up and he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go get this stuff back. We're going to make this right. We're going to find our families and we're going to rescue them. 600 men, but 200 of them were too tired. They couldn't do it. They weren't able to go. So David went with the 400 men, and just as the Lord had promised, they returned, not only with their families, not only with their children and their homes and their goods, but with more, with more bounty than they left with. And when they got back, David began to divide the spoils. And in 1 Samuel 30, well, you don't have to turn there just for the sake of time, but in 1 Samuel 30, he says this, because the men were like, well, that's not fair. That they, the guys that stayed behind, that took care of the supplies, it's not fair. And David would say, and actually he made a law and a decree that from that point on, that those that guarded the supplies were rewarded in the same way that those were on the front lines. It's, it's by the Holy Spirit recorded for us that we can know that the men that were guarding the supplies, the men that were sending them out, were just as crucial as those that went. Investing in the kingdom so that together, when we build this, this church in, in, in Africa, that the, the young men and women, you, don't, you won't even maybe get to meet them this side of heaven, but someday you will because you invested in it. And I'll take it a step further that as we begin to look into our own community and do outreach here, we might plant seeds that someone might give their lives to Christ and turn their lives over, and they might end up at Station Hill Church, and we never know it, and that's okay, because we're investing in the kingdom, not in our kingdom, in his kingdom. Whether they're at Grace Chapel or Journey or, or New River, wherever God calls that body for them to be a part of it matters not to us, only that the kingdom and our reward eternally will be returned to us. It's an important investment to make. It reminds me of an investment that my daughter made that has not been very well for her. It happened a few years ago. Some of you have heard this story. When she came running downstairs as fast as she could. This is Maddie, who is now 14 and is at camp, so it's safe to tell this story. She was probably eight years old at this time, maybe nine. And she came running down the stairs and said, I did it, I did it, I did it, I did it. You owe me $1,000. It's probably important to tell you at this point that this was Mother's Day. And I'm sitting on the couch with her mother, my wife, Shannon. And that look of, so what? What, what, are you, what happened? And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And she's like, that, she's, that look of, she's, whether she's terrified or excited, but she's like, I did it, I did it, you owe me a thousand bucks. I'm like, Maddie, what did you do? I ate the goldfish, you owe me a thousand bucks. Earlier that day. Earlier that day, I'm at church, and I'm talking with a guy, and I don't know, you know how guys, I don't know how we get on things we talk about, but somehow we're talking about eating goldfish in college. And Maddie is standing behind me, and she's doing one of those, you know, pulling on my, you know, pant legs, she's to tell me something, and I say, Maddie, what, what, and, and but then she's like, Daddy, I'd, I'd eat a goldfish. I'm like, no, you wouldn't, for a thousand dollars, I would. And I'm like, this is Maddie who, oh, I mean, she wouldn't eat nothing. She's like a picky little eater. I'm like, Maddie, I'd pay you $1,000 right now if you ate a goldfish. There's no way you'd eat a goldfish. That was the last time I thought about that. Until 4 o'clock that afternoon or whatever time it was. When she came running downstairs and she had eaten the betta fish. Which was in, and parents, you know this. This was, this was the goldfish down the hall in the room that was forgotten about. So not only was it a, we got a betta fish because their natural habitat is like a mud puddle. Yeah. 
right? They can survive in anything. And then we kill fish like they're, you know, because we have no control over it. So she somehow managed to get in there, scoop up this fish, and swallow it whole. And now I owe her a thousand bucks. Because when I say, Maddie, I was just kidding. I mean, her, I, women, you know the kind of crying I'm talking about, where there's like, there's no whimper buildup. It was just boom, like the tears. <laughs> like, like it was a cry grenade. I had pulled the pin and it went off. Because I went from being her daddy to being a crook, right? I'm a sham artist at this point. My daddy has lied to me. So at this point, what we ended up doing was we gave her $100 cash and then, you know, put 900 left of it in, you know, kind of assigned it into a, an investment account, <laughs> which was a good lesson for her. She didn't get it in writing because it technically was, in fact, $1,000, which, by the way, I'm like, Maddie, it wasn't even your fish. It was your sister's. What are you? What were you going to do? And she goes, well, I was going to buy her a new one with $1,000. So, so, so the deal we made was she had to buy her a new fish, and she had to tell her that she ate her goldfish. And I bring this up because her investment has not done well, if I might be honest, over the years. And so she's learned a hard lesson about how investments can go. That it's, you know, give or take, it's not quite 900-ish. Um, and she's allowed to, you know, access it when she's 16, which hopefully by then, maybe, I don't know, she'll... Of course, at this rate, she might be able to buy like a matchbox car the way that it's, the market's been going. But, but all that to say, you can invest, and this is a safe investment for the kingdom. It's not an investment that will go north or south. It's one that is solid. We can't, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And that's the, the goal that we have of investing. And I would say this as, as believers, as Christians, if you're going to invest your money, make sure you're invested in a place with fruit. To, to a ministry that has got eternal things going on. That's between you and the Lord is to decide where that is. But this whole idea of, well, once I give it to God, it's his business. And it, you know, hold us accountable. Ask us to see the books. See what we're doing with it. Because it once it is in, the, in the, the ministry's hand or wherever you've sent it to, whether it's here or Africa or wherever, it's in their hands. But it's your responsibility ahead of time to plant it in soil that you believe to be good soil with it, investing in the kingdom. You're envisioning it, you're encircling it, you're investing in it, and the last thing is, once all those things, it's together as we're in invading it. Paul, in Acts 18, it says that he preached the word of God every day. That's how you invade a city, is with the word. In, in fact, in Acts chapter five, you might remember the story, the disciples once again had found themselves in front of the council and they were being blasted. But here's what it says. You have filled our city with your doctrine. And my prayer for us, and by the way, that filled, that word is in the Greek, it's, it denotes like chit chat, almost like gossip. Like it's just, we're just talking about it all the time. You have filled our city. You have invaded our city with your teaching, with your gospel. And if you're looking for a way to invade our city, it doesn't mean that you have to preach from a table every Sunday. It just means you're talking about Jesus. And it doesn't mean you have to really know a lot. Just talk about where you are right now with, when you're getting your hair done. Hey man, look, this, we just did this, or we, you know, when we sent the, the semi for the tornado victims, when we sent the folks last week to Joplin, we, there's lots to talk about. And that's just with us as a church. It doesn't even begin to touch what each of you individually are doing. It's the chit-chat of Jesus. Let it permeate our conversations. When you're at the grocery store, when you're at school, 
when you're hanging out in the cul-de-sac. Let it permeate your conversation. Let Jesus invade this community. My prayer is this, and I would ask you as a, as a body of believers that have linked arms for this mission that God has called us to do, is to pray. How do I pray? Not that the church could come up with this awesome plan, but pray that, as Jesus said to pray, that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. I mean, I'm looking in this room and I see pastors. I see leaders that God is just waiting to raise up. There's no bench in our church, obviously. These chairs are like, what, $8? I mean, these are not comfortable on purpose. We don't want you staying very long. If your back is hurting, that's awesome. That'll get you out of here and get into the community because you won't be wanting to stay here. We're not trying to make it cozy. And I'm sorry for back problem people. But, but my point is, is this, is that God doesn't, in my view of what God has called us to do at a church, isn't for this to be centralized through me, like I'm bottlenecking it. In fact, the scriptures tell us that the, the, in Ephesians, when Paul talks about the job of a pastor, a prophet, evangelist, teacher, is not so that I can gather people around me so that I can do the work of the ministry. It's to prepare people to do the work of the ministry. And I believe that God has pastors in our room that he's raising up to, to lead in our community. And as a body of believers to say, let's, let's let them do that. If, if you're looking for a place to hide out in a church that's just kind of hanging there, I want you to know there's, this is probably not gonna be a comfortable place for you because we're kind of on the go. And I say that with a twist. If, if you're in a place where you've been hurt and you just need a place to recover, that's okay too. No one's going to judge you if you're not out there in the field or whatever. But just know that this is what we do here. It's what we've done globally and it's what we're going to do locally. We are a global church. And as you're praying, pray that God would identify that we can say, here's a, this guy, this lady, this is a pastor that God is raising up for our community. What is the vision that God has given for them? I had some great conversations. You know, Ron and I have been talking about what does that look like reaching into our community? Jonathan and I have been talking, what does it look like? How does this work, pastors in our community? How do we get there? You know, Ron and, and Jonathan both and their, and their families are, these are pastors that are in maybe a tent making phase, but it's not a forever phase. Just like Paul, it's not a forever thing. It's like this was, he just made tents for this period of his life. And it's, there'll be a time to make tents. I don't know, maybe there'll be a time for me to make tents again. I did it for 20 years, just that my tents happened to sing and have tattoos. <laughs> but that was the tents that I made. I don't, maybe God will do, but for this period, it's here, here's where I am. And it's to say that we don't want to centralize this. Jesus says that the kingdom of God in Luke, that he said that it would be like a mustard seed that would grow into a mighty tree and lots of birds could, would come and roost in its branches. I used to think of that as a, wow, how awesome the kingdom can grow. But a mustard seed doesn't grow into a tree. It grows into a plant. Jesus was not giving us an exhortation. It was an admonition. It was a warning to say that if you're not careful, this thing will grow huge in all kinds of branches. And it's centralized. A tree is centralized to one 
trunk going down, all these branches. And what does it say? That a lot of birds would come and roost in its branches. Birds in the Bible are a picture of evil. Whether it was Abraham or Revelation, there's, it's a picture of evil. So we get too much, too centralized, too bottlenecked, and all these branches, and all it does is a lot of crazy birds come and roost. We don't want an orchard of one tree. We want an orchard of thousands of mustard plants reaching into the community and into the world. We do that by decentralizing, not by centralizing. And I say to you, let's pray that God will identify. There's already conversations going on. We're just looking for how can we as a church, who, what quarterback is God going to raise up for this one? And it might be this mission here, and there's a, a guy or a girl or both, a husband and wife that are called to lead this one. And there might be one that is called to lead this over here. We're going to find out. But I'll tell you this, it isn't going to be, I mean, if we're giving all this money away, and I'm telling you this, we are, there isn't any money to staff up. This is how we have to do it. Until God grows it to the point, but we're gonna, we always want to keep out far enough in advance where we can continue to use the money here. And maybe someday God will bless us to the point where we can then have a couple more on staff or whatever, but for now, that's just not who we are. So we're, we, I, we need everybody. It's all hands on deck. And it starts with us envisioning it and looking into our city and being envisioned with the gospel of Jesus for our community. It starts with us encircling it within our, in our groups, our small groups. And if you're not in a village yet, if you're not a part of a community inside of the conduit body, I would encourage you to think about changing that. You can email Jeremy, write this down, jeremy at conduitmission.org. Email Jeremy. He can connect you with the groups that are needing. He's kind of like our concierge. You know, you get to a city, the concierge, you got to know where to go, who's doing what. And he's our, he is our uh, small group concierge, and he can tell you what, what group is doing what and can maybe point you in the right direction. You've got to envision it. You've got to encircle it. Invest in it. This is not a pitch for an offering. Just wherever God is calling you to invest, if he's calling you to invest here, we'll do our dead-level best to honor it and be a good steward of it. We've got a great financial team that keeps us accountable. Envisioning it, investing in it, encircling it, and then we're gonna invade our city around us. Pray that God will raise up those generals, those sergeants, those corporals, that we can invade our community with the gospel. And that just looks like us preaching the word, talking about it in our conversations, not on a corner with a bullhorn and a big sandwich sign around our necks, but just in your, at the salon, at school, there's all kinds of places we can invade. I mean, I've talked about Ali and Chris a couple times, but I know with Against the Grain alone, there's an amazing opportunity for ministry right here in our own backyard. And there's others, and I don't mean to, to uh, leave out anybody else, because I, I, the beautiful thing about our church is we're surrounded by people that are goers, that are doers. And we're just looking for more opportunities for us to, as a church, to go and to do, to not be on the bench, to allow God to raise up those pastors in our own body, those voices in our own body, to do it. So as we worship... Mo, I don't know where you guys are, but I pray today that the Lord would send forth laborers into the harvest. And knowing this, that you are actually the answer to, to Jesus' prayer 2,000 years ago. As we're going, Jesus said, pray, we're the answer, we're the laborers into the harvest. And now we get to pray that God would even send more, more of us. And if the Lord is speaking anything to you, my email is Darren at conduitmission.org, D-A-R-R-E-N, at conduitmission.org, or just go to the website if you forget. Let me know what God is saying. And as we move forward into this year, 
that we can look to what our city is and say what, Paul, what, what God said to Paul, which is, I have many people in this city. There are many people that are broken, many people that need Jesus. Maybe some of you here this morning. And know that he is welcoming you with open arms. Whatever road you've decided to take, whatever detour maybe you've taken from faith, God's welcoming you back. You don't have to come down here and have me put my hand on you. You're right where you are. Just know that the Lord wants to invade your life to give you a vision for your own community as well. Pray about it. Ask the Lord today if he would have you to lead anything and pray if you just need Jesus to invade your own heart again or maybe for the first time, he'll do it. Father, we um, ask for your wisdom in our lives that your word would invade our city. What better spiritual warfare could we have than speaking your truth? Because we're declaring what the enemy says that is false. We're declaring the truth about it. That's spiritual warfare. We're declaring lies to be lies and truth to be truth. Saying to the body, come on and be a part of this thing that you're calling us to do. You've not called any of us to be bench warmers. You've called all of us to play a role in your kingdom. And I would ask that you would speak to us individually today. Speak to people that, that I know for a fact that God is, you're leading them and speak to us that just need to be woken up. Just whatever word it is you have for us that we would hear it, not be hindered from it. In Jesus' name, amen.